my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super excited to be here today with Josie Mueller. How are you, Josie? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited to see you. Um, We're going to get into Josie's background and, um, and everything that she's currently doing. She's currently the Director of Service Learning at the Martha O'Brien Center. We'll, we'll hear all about what Martha O'Brien does and, and we'll, we'll get into um, uh, the fact that Josie also uh, studied at my alma mater, UNC Chapel Hill, got her Master's of Social Work there, but she is also a 2017 graduate of our program. So Josie, thanks so much for being here today and taking time out of your busy day. I mean, I'm sure you have lots of honky tonks to go to and lots of um, country music to, to listen to and great Americana there in Nashville. Um, but taking the time out of your day to, to talk with us is appreciated. Yep, I'm missing out on my honky tonks right now. <laughs> yeah, right on. I love it. You, you taking a little bit of time out from your singer songwriter career to 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 work as director of service learning, right? <laughs> exactly. When I moved to Nashville, that was the number one question I got. Everyone was like, "Do you sing?" Uh, no, I just uh, like Nashville. Nice, right on. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, that's really exciting. Tell us, um. Where you're from originally, though, Josie? So I'm from Martinez, California. It's a smaller city in the East Bay of California. Okay. Yeah, I know Martinez. Yeah, of course. Now, growing up, what was growing up uh, like there in Martinez? What was uh, what was uh, young Josie into? I was super sporty. Um, so wow. I didn't actually do a ton of activities in Martinez. I did a lot of mine in like Lafayette area, which is a little bit of a wealthier area. So we would drive on over there where my grandparents lived and I would do all the activities there so I could do swim team and gymnastics. I had a lot more access um, through that. So I was really fortunate to have that. Right. I gotcha. That's cool. What what about your, what about your folks? What did your, what did your parents do growing up? If you had asked me when I was younger, I would have said, I don't know. And now that (laughs) I'm old, I figured out um, my dad was an auditor. He just retired this year and he's super excited about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I just kind of knew he worked with numbers. And then my mom works at UC Berkeley. She's the director of advising and policy for the College of Engineering. Um, But when I was growing up, she was an academic advisor and I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew she worked at UC Berkeley. Right, right. Well, did you did you get a chance to connect? Did, does Diane Cork know that that your mom was director of no, she? I don't think so. She got that job after I left. Oh, she did. Okay, I mm-hmm. got you. That's cool. What about siblings? You have any siblings? I have one younger sister. She's still in college, and her plans. Um, she's in school for education. She her plan is to go get her teaching credential, mm. um, and then turn that into a master's program. She's actually at Cal Poly Pomona. Oh, right on. Okay, cool. Cool. And uh, I, I always have to stop myself from saying the other Cal Poly whenever someone says that, because I actually said that at Pomona once and I got in big trouble. Um, yeah. it, uh, like, uh, like it was a visible, like, or not, not visible. It was an audible, like, ooh, and then the room got really quiet. <laughs> And the person I was with, like, elbowed me in the side. I had no idea. I was, you know, being a North Carolina kid, I didn't realize there was, like, 
a history there with the cow, <laughs> the cow folly, you know, and uh, yeah, they, they didn't really like that too much. But uh, I have since learned that it's, that it's a fabulous school, and and we we obviously have a rich history between the two campuses together. But um, so that's awesome that your sister's doing that. So sporty growing up, you said swim team. What else? What else were you into? I did gymnastics, volleyball. I was super outdoorsy. So like pretty much every day in elementary school, I would go out and my friend had these like rolling hills in his backyard. We would just go explore for hours and hours. Um, So I've always been like kind of into the outdoorsy sports kind of um, interests. Right, 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 right. Now, so the path towards Cal Poly, what, uh, what got you, what got you interested in coming down South to slow town? Yeah, I did not want to apply to Cal Poly at first. Uh, my mom actually forced me to apply. I was looking at smaller private schools and my mom was like, you need to apply to some public schools. And so she was like, Cal Poly is a great school. Let's look at the majors. Um, uh-huh. and she read through every single major and I was like, no, no, no. And then we got to um, experience industry management, which was called recreation uh, when I applied. Right. And I was like, okay, maybe that one. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I was actually really interested. I just couldn't admit I was wrong. Right. So um, <laughs> I applied to that. And then after I visited, I just fell in love with the campus. Um, I'll never forget when I was touring, people were like constantly yelling at the tour group, like, come to Cal Poly. And everyone was so excited about it. It just seemed like a really happy campus. And I was yeah. like, I hated to admit I was wrong, but I was wrong. so happy I ended up at Cal Poly. That is really cool. You know, my my daughter and I, we were coming down, um, we were coming down Johnson Avenue this morning and and she said to she said to me, it was it was really quite amazing. She said to me, like, look at that, Daddy. That is just so beautiful. We should never take it for granted. And I was like, Oh my goodness, like that is so true. Like, you know, you look out and you're like, that is just fabulous and and beautiful, and uh, we are we are very lucky along those lines. So you, so you made it here to you made it here to San Luis Obispo, and um, and uh, you know obviously I know from my experience in in um, in teaching in teaching you and and um, and 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 working with you, I know that that you were really involved here during your time at Cal Poly. I wonder if you can um, for us pick out a couple of things like one pick out something like an enduring memory that you, you look back and you think I'll never forget that time um you know that you can share with us and then and then another is is um professional development when you look back and think about like what really left a mark on you in terms of helping you to prepare for for the professional world um what 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 two things kind of stick out there yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a specific memory with Cal Poly, but there are a few times where during finals week in like December, we would go to the beach and we would study at the beach. And my friends in Tennessee can't believe that because in December here, it's like 10 degrees sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it was just like those really special moments of being able to take advantage of the outdoors Um and enjoy where we were and enjoy the scenery um, was probably my favorite part uh, or, you know, late night drives through all the way to Avila and getting ice cream or something. Um, it was just the little things like that, that were really special and that I really cherish about my college experience. Um, and then as far as professional development goes, I 
honestly think at the time I didn't love it, but there were presentations in pretty much every single um, experience industry management class that I was in. Uh And now my, a lot of my job is like pitching and recruiting. And so those experiences doing the presentations in class and getting involved on the different committees and, you know, working in groups and teams, those are all things that I've carried with me. And I've, I've ended up being really grateful for, I don't know if I would have said this at the time, but right. Yeah, really I, 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 I love hearing you reflect on that, Josie, because, uh, you know, when we were working on the the more than a motto book um, about about Cal Poly's learn by doing experience, like that's one of the things that we found from industry partners in particular. They said that they felt like Cal Poly students were more prepared to work in teams and, and to jump in right away and working in teams. And, and it really hit me that like, oh, wow, that's a pretty positive impact of, of learn by doing, right? All of those small groups. And I know sometimes, just like you said, I, I know from, from being in <laughs> meetings or whatever, where we'll say, oh, now we're going to break out into a breakout group. And I'm like, oh, okay. And a breakout group, you know, but then you get into it and you realize, oh yeah, that is where the learning really takes place, right? I have to be active and engaged rather than just passively listening, right? And sometimes we love that passively listening, right? Because we can kind of zone out ourselves. But but I think learning really takes place when we are active. And so I love, love that reflection. So let's talk about your time um, leading out of Cal Poly, right? We, uh, our, our current students in particular who are a part of the listening base for this podcast, love to hear about your internship and, and, and how you got it, what your experience was like, and all of those sorts of things. So can you um, reflect on that for a little bit? Definitely. I... So I wanted to be a wedding planner up until probably the end of junior year. Uh-huh. And so I had done all the event planning classes. I was involved in the auction committee. Um, and then a wedding planner came and talked to my class. And I was like, whoa, I don't think this is my career path. And I had been planning, you know, like to network with event planners and wedding planners for my internship. So I had this moment of panic, like right at the end of junior year. Um, so then in fall quarter of my senior year, I took a sociology class just to kind of branch out. Um, and an organization called restorative partners came and presented to my class and I had an idea. I was like, they are going to not know what I'm talking about, but I imagine as a nonprofit, they want some labor, some free labor. Um, so I started volunteering with them, got really involved. Um, and I really believed in their mission of restorative justice and, they work in the county jail and juvenile hall. So um, after volunteering there, I proposed to them. I, I said, you know, I'm in spring. I have to do 40 hours a week. Um, you don't have to pay me, but would you have the capacity to take me on? Um, and I was really fortunate. They agreed. They had never had an intern before. Um, so I was pretty proud of that, that I did that networking myself. Um, and I ended up basically planning alongside one other employee um, an auction, a fundraiser for 150 people. Mm-hmm. And so I got to use my event planning skills and I got to use things that I had learned, but I got to do it in a way that aligned with my personal values and things that are important to me. And I got to serve that mission, yeah. um, which was something I was really looking for in my career that I don't think I knew at the time. Right. Well, I, I love that reflection, Josie, for a couple of different reasons. You know, I, I love the fact that that you've highlighted for us that 
hey, you know, you can you you can change paths, right? You can you, you can realize. I mean, I, I was kind of that way. I thought I wanted to be in sports information, and I um and I took an internship in sports information, and I was like, oh, whoa, I don't think I really like this. This isn't really for me. And and then that 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 element of of um of living your values and living out your values, I think is really super important. Tell us a little bit um, for those who are unfamiliar, what is, um, what is uh, restorative justice and, and what, um, what does uh, restorative partners do? Yeah. Restorative partners goes. And so there's a few components. They go in the County jail and juvenile hall and do programming. And that's kind of a piece of restorative justice. And then they also work in the community to educate people. So Restorative justice is kind of a counter to criminal justice. So criminal justice asks three questions. It's what crime was committed, who did it, and what do they deserve? And restorative justice asks who was harmed, what are their needs, and whose responsibility is it to fulfill those needs? Mm. So it's more of a community and holistic approach looking at, you know, if we want harm to stop, we need to address all roots of harm. Um, And so that was something, and that's still something too, that I carry into every job that I go into. I've been asked about it in every interview I've ever done, Um, you know, tell me about restorative justice and how can we use that? And I think we could all use it in our everyday lives. I I love it. It's just so, uh, so amazing. And you, you, um, I I think you, you probably were the first person to really, um, really opened my eyes to it, um, through, um, through your, your work with restorative partners. And so I have to thank you for that, um, for sure. And, um, so after doing your internship and and the final piece that I love is that you made that connection, you volunteered and, and look, we, we know that not everyone has the capacity to be able to do an, an internship that, that where they're not paid. Right. Um, but, if if you're volunteering for an organization for a period of time, it could be that they make mo- they make money available for you, right? You don't have to necessarily do it for free, even though that was the example you gave. I just love that. It's such a vibrant, um, uh, active way to to go out and to make those partnerships to to develop opportunities for yourself, and and I just love that. So let's talk about the time after Cal Poly, right? So I know that you ended up reaching out to me and and you had said you were interested in potentially getting a master's of social work at um at my alma mater, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so happy to have uh, a fellow Tar Heel now here on the podcast. So tell us about what that was like. You know, um, I have found Josie over the years, I was kind of shocked when I first came to Cal Poly that I did not, um, we we had a really low percentage of students who ended up going on to graduate school. And in the last 15 years, um, that number has increased exponentially. Um, Now, obviously that can be, that can be due to societal factors as well. But um, I just think, I just think you guys are such amazing students, uh, so much better in terms of like your preparedness and your engagement and all those things. And I was right. And so I just think our student body as a, as a whole, uh, you know, are ripe for graduate, graduate studies. But I wonder if you could go through that process for us, um, and, and reflect on your decision-making along those lines. Yeah. I, it's funny you say that because I originally chose a major, what was important to me when choosing an undergrad major was something I didn't have to go to grad school for. Uh, I didn't want to feel like 
all the career options were going to be after another two, four, however many years of school. Yeah. So it was funny because that was like, I swore up and down. I was going to do undergrad and that was going to be it. And then, uh, you know, it turned around and went to grad school two years later. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I did two years of AmeriCorps service, which my job is closely tied to now, which we'll get into, I'm sure, later. But it's essentially the Peace Corps in the United States. And so I did two years of that, really liked the service aspect. And it was so great because I could try on these different careers and try on different aspects. So at Restorative, Just- or Restorative Partners, I stayed there. Um, did my first AmeriCorps term there and got kind of to see the admin side. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I don't know if that's what I want to do for a living. So my second term, I went to um, Nashville, worked with the Martha O'Brien Center as an AmeriCorps member and did really hands-on work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I think I want kind of a combo of this. And I don't know exactly what I want to do. I know these types of populations I like and social work kind of felt like the next logical step of a catch-all to make the next step in my career um, and not be limited. So the jobs I was looking at, I probably could have done with my bachelor's, but I didn't want to be, you know, hit a ceiling and then have to go back for my master's later. Um, I knew I wanted to be like in leadership or a director of some sort. And so I knew grad school was going to help me with that. Um, So that was a big part of my decision is it's a good time to go. It makes sense to go now. I'm, I don't have roots in Nashville necessarily, so I can go wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad I did, even though I thought I was going to stay out in North Carolina, loved it, yeah. but ended up right back in Nashville. Right so back in Nashville. Two year hiatus, I guess. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, um, so that, that period of, of time, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, what, what graduate school is like. I think it's important, um, to you know kind of peel back the layers for folks who may be trying to decide or or um who may think oh i don't know maybe i'll do that later or some point um what was uh what was graduate school like what is graduate school like and um and what was your time like there in in chapel hill graduate school is hard um it is it's funny because at UNC in my program, there's not grades, which is not something I'm used to. I always strove for getting A's. I was, you know, that was very important to me. And so Uh when there were no grades, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just learning to learn. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was so, I had never seen anything like it. And so it kind of, in some ways took the pressure off, but in other ways put the pressure on because I'm like, well, now I need to learn it for me and for my career. Uh-huh. Um, so lots of reading, <laughs> uh-huh. lots of essays, um, quite a few presentations and it, lots of hands-on stuff too with social work in particular. Um, and yeah. so it was full time. I didn't work um, my first year outside because I was going to be it was going to be too much. And so that was something I just kind of wasn't expecting because um, we only had class a few days a week. And so I didn't realize how much outside time there was going to be. And we did um, similar to the internship with, you know, EIM, there are field days. So you go into a school and you're doing school social work those days. Um, right. And so it's that hands-on experience. And part of you is like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm fresh into grad school and I'm being given a caseload of 12 kids and right. expected to be emotional support for them. So right. I think a lot of grad school too is like addressing that imposter syndrome and like you are qualified. Mm. If you got into this program, mm. like 
you got in for a reason. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fluke. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's uh, I think that's a really important thing to address, uh, Josie. And, and uh, it, that, that, uh, that concept, I, I keep hearing it more and more. And um, I appreciate that people are raising it um, to the forefront for us to, to, to understand. Right. And um, the idea behind imposter syndrome is that we in, in in, in a lot of different environments, and I'll put myself, I'm 16 years into uh, being a professor and um, I've reached the height, right? I'm, I'm a full professor and with tenure, right? And every day I have to battle imposter syndrome. Every single day I have to, 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 to uh, ward off those demons that tell me, what you're not a professor seriously you can't do this right and 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 we we get that in so many different environments right and i'm sure that so many of the people listening um to this podcast will can can relate to that right and uh whether it yeah. be like your first class in college you're like oh wow can i can i live up to this or 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 like you said graduate school and um i think an important thing to to point out is that a very very low percentage of those who start graduate school finish mm -hmm. and i think that's probably rooted in there right that imposter mm -hmm. syndrome thing is rooted in and unfortunately i don't think we do a good enough job in in higher ed um, particularly with graduate students um, in, in trying to help them ward that off. Um, we probably do better than we used to, uh, <laughs> but, but we, we uh, you know, we don't probably could do better. Um, yeah. So now let's, let's, let's get a, let's, let's get to your current position. So Josie is, is currently, like I, I said earlier, is currently the director of service learning at the Martha O'Brien center in um, Nashville. Um, why don't you tell us first of all, what, um, what is Martha? What is the Martha O'Brien Center? Um, what's what's the mission? And um, and then we'll get into your current role. So we're an anti-poverty organization. We're located in East Nashville. Um, we've been there since 1948 when the James A. Casey homes were built, and we're in the community. So we're not some outside organization um, in a different neighborhood coming in and serving people. We are in the neighborhood. So if there's violence going down on the street, we're affected by that too. Um, and that's really important to us. And so East Nashville is getting gentrified. Um, and so we're working to alleviate generational poverty. We take a two-gen approach, meaning we work with people at all points in their lives, um, starting from early learning to after-school programs with K through eight programs, um, high school, after-school programs, adult education, adult employment. Um, we have a therapist on site. So we kind of do it all. Um, and relationships and fellowship is a really big part of what we do um, and why we do the work that we do. Awesome. It, you know, when I was doing research on it, I, I um, it reminded me of the whole house in, in Chicago yes. and, and Jane Adams. And um, I, I think you probably took RPTA 101 with me. So you probably read about the whole house and Jane Adams. And so I was like, when I read, when I was reading about Martha O'Brien, I was like, yes, awesome. So Josie's kind of like director of service learning for the whole house. Right. <laughs> so the, the, uh, so uh, it, am, am I on, on track there with that? Yes, definitely. Definitely. And 
you know, people come to us. Um, we work to solution is what we say. So you won't hear us say no a lot. People come in the door knowing we're a safe, sp- safe space for the community. And so even though we don't provide substance use um, services, we're never going to say, sorry, better luck. You know, um, we're going to hand someone resources. We're going to make phone calls with them. We're going to connect them to our community social workers. Um right we're not going to turn people away, really. It's pretty rare you'll hear us say no to someone. Right. Okay. I love it. I love it. So y- you know that that we in this department care about service learning. Um, we have uh, a couple of different classes that are set up with service learning um, at the forefront. And so it's exciting for me to see a former student, you know, being the director of service learning. So tell us um, what's your what's your day to day? I mean, obviously, we know, and one of the things that's exciting about uh, the the positions that that many of us are drawn to is there's 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 not a day to day, right? Every day is different. But um, if you had to boil it down to what you do on a daily basis, what would you? How would you answer? There's pretty much three components to my job. Um, so. I might not do all three every day, but I'll certainly do all three within a week. Um, And that's recruitment, member management, and reporting. So recruitment, just like what it sounds like, reviewing applications, interviewing people, doing some HR things, doing some onboarding there. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're currently expanding that process. So we're looking at, you know, who who are we going to target? What does that look like to expand that? Um, And what do we need to do to do that? Um, reporting similar. It's just what it sounds like looking at the data, communicating with other departments and their numbers, um, and then sending that off and being the liaison between that and our lead organization, which is Volunteer Tennessee, which is how we get our AmeriCorps members. Um, So I'm kind of the go-between between Martha O'Brien and Volunteer Tennessee. Um, And that piece requires a lot of organization and attention to detail. Right. And then the third part of my job, which is my favorite part, um, is working with the current AmeriCorps members at Martha O'Brien. So mm-hmm. we have 21 slots. They're not all filled right now, but I plan weekly community gatherings. I plan monthly social gatherings, quarterly days of service. Um, it looks also like talking to members about their goals, what they want to do after they leave AmeriCorps, um, and creating a positive all-around experience for the members. When I was an AmeriCorps member at Martha O'Brien, I made some lifelong friends, um, and I'm really hoping to create that experience for current members as well. I love that. That is um, that's a that's a lasting impact. Um, so when you reflect on obviously in in um, in being right there in the community in East Nashville, and you reflect on on the problems and and the the solutions that that you all are. Are working um, towards overcoming. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple. You, you said when you said violence is is uh, when violence you know happens, it, it impacts everyone and impact impacts you being there. You, you mentioned gentrification, but if you could, um, if you could reflect on a couple of the biggest problems that that you all are seeing there um, in East Nashville, and and um, and try to put a positive light on it, right towards what what you all are doing to to make a difference. Um, could you do that for us? Definitely. So yeah, the violence is something that has been ongoing. It's changing. Um, so there is less violence, but it's still there. There are still, you know, high school students who are engaging in violence or at risk and children growing up in this environment. Um, and so something that we do is like, we try to get our programs with the after school programs. So kids have a safe place to go and 
you know, parents can go to work. Um, we know that violence is typically systemic. Um, it's not, you know, often an individual making that choice just out of in a vacuum. Um, so, you know, people don't know where their next meal is coming from. They can't address other needs. Um, and so we're working toward that from a systemic point. And then also with the gentrification, um, the housing was built in 1948. And so there's no central air, um, which in Nashville is hard. Um, and so the housing developments are being redone and remodeled through MDHA, who's the, uh, they're over the public housing. And so Uh with that is coming unique challenges, Um, like people who have never had to pay rent or an electric bill suddenly have $200 due each month. So what does that look like when I was paying, I've been paying $25 a month for the last 10 years and now it's different. So uh, we're working a lot more closely with families to come up with long-term solutions for that. Um, and that are going to be sustainable for each family because each family is different. And so, and we're trying to, in the high schools to address like, you know, Casey might, the community might not look the same in 10 years. That is high value property. Um, and so you need to make sure, you know, you're thinking ahead, you're coming up with a plan for Mm -hmm. if this doesn't look the same. Um, and of course it's, challenging too because we have grant requirements that our programs are supposed to address and then we have community needs and what the community would like addressed and sometimes those don't always line up and so that's something Mm -hmm. that we deal with every day is how do we get the money to do these programs to address these things and also make sure we're serving the community in ways that is helpful and actually useful and we're not just coming in and saying we know what's best for you Mm -hmm. and this is what we're going to do to fix it right yeah um wow uh, that that last part is is really um is really aligned obviously with what we talked about with the whole house too you know that two-way that two-way notion and that that notion of uh, and how challenging that is to like come in and and say we know we know what what you need right and um i imagine that's a daily battle to make sure that the communication lines are open with the community. And, and, you know, you say that like with the community, well, like the community is, is made up of like thousands and thousands of individuals. And so like who speaks for the community and who has their own agenda and like trying to like, um, uh, you know, piece all that together and weave all that um, is, I imagine a challenge. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you, if you think back right to that junior year, uh, Josie, (laughs) um, what advice would you, uh, modern day Josie give, uh, junior year Josie? I think a lot of the advice I was given was network. Mm. And I think that's good advice, but I would go back and be more specific. I, um, you know, I ended up getting my internship through another department. And I think EIM students have really niche talents that every department needs. So I would say do that networking in other departments too. So maybe go up to a professor, your communications professor, your, you know, stats professor, um, and see how you can get involved in other ways. And that's going to give you more broadened experience. I think if I had been exposed to that earlier, um, I might've made different 
class choices. Um, and I don't regret anything I did, certainly. But I think I could have had more classes that were going to get me to my career path where I wanted to be earlier. So doing that networking and not being afraid to ask um, professors specifically, you know, who do you know? What are your department's needs? Um, I think I was intimidated by professors and authority in general. Um, And now that I'm kind of on the other side and I'm a little bit, you know, in a leadership position in my organization, I'm like, I love it when my members come talk to me. I love it when people come in my door and have questions for me. Um, And so I would say, you know, do the networking, but this is how I would do it. Um, Right, right. Do it in a more targeted way and do it in a in a more confident way. I, I love that. You know, I, I, I try to break down those barriers, you know, by telling, um, by, by telling them I'm, I'm not a, we're, we're not robots and, and trying to like talk about things like mental health and, and imposter syndrome and those sorts of things. And that we're dealing with, um, you know, obviously we don't want to say we're dealing with the same issues, um, but, but we're dealing with our, our own issues. Everyone's dealing with their own issues and, one way, shape, or another, and if we can give each other some some empathy and some grace, and 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 try to be more understanding along those lines, I think um, I think it will it will help. Um, so we'll end um, Josie with um, you know if, if if someone if a if a student is interested in in social work or restorative justice or really. Um, being out there and, and helping um, communities in need. Um, what advice would you give them? Um, and, uh, and and we'll end on that note. Yeah, I would say if you can get your foot in the door volunteering with one organization, a whole bunch of doors open up. So, um, you know, we get AmeriCorps members, for example, because they were volunteering for an organization who said, oh, you know, we part, you mentioned something about anti-poverty work. Have you heard of Martha O'Brien? Um, and people in the nonprofit industry really look out for one another that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I would also just like to highlight, I forgot to say this earlier, but like when I was going into social work, I was kind of intimidated that my background in event planning wasn't relevant or wasn't, you know, people were coming into social work with sociology background, psychology. And I was coming in feeling like I have this event planning. I don't know what that is. And I use logic models all the time. I use my programming, um, you know, knowledge all the time, event planning, that's all social work too. And so um, it's that these skills are transferable to um, everything, even though I'm not doing anything like what I did in my first couple jobs, I'm using all those skills. Um, and I'm using my presentation techniques and stuff. And so really focusing on the big picture um, of the skills that you're learning and, you know, what it, I might not be planning an event, um, like I am in this one project for this one class, I might never do, you know, an experiential marketing event. But what am I taking away from this planning process that I'm going to be able to transfer? Um, I think that was something that was hard for me to see. And so I would love um, to just encourage others, especially in the nonprofit realm, that makes you more well-rounded, that makes you marketable, and those are strengths. So, you know, you can talk about those things, even if they're related to corporate events or targeted at corporate events for this one class or example being used. 
Right. Well, I I really appreciate you um you realizing that um that we should have been clicking on that. You know, I think maybe that's a, a sign of of maybe how far we've come because I was I, in the early podcasts um where I had um where I had alumni on who weren't like necessarily technically in what we might technically consider the experience industry, I would like really hammer on that transferability aspect, you know, but I feel like we've almost like evolved now where, where I, I, that, that's kind of crazy that I almost forgot about it and you had to remind me of it. And, um, and it, it is um, because, you know, I see your work in the nonprofit um, realm, even though you've obviously gotten a master's of social work and and enhance your education there. I mean, I see it inherently as the experience industry, right? I see all nonprofit management as underneath um, our umbrella because, you know, like you said, like you, you, managing a nonprofit, you, you're having to wear so many different hats. And and um, I love that advice about finding nonprofits and, and getting your foot in the door too. And, um, and yeah, just thank you so much for sharing that transferability thing that I almost forgot about because it really is so valuable. And, um, and I appreciate hearing you say that, that, um, that it has been valuable for you, but it's also, it's like back to that imposter syndrome that we talked about earlier. You know, one of the reasons why I have it as a professor is that when I walk into the, to the to the room with an aerospace engineer, a mathematician, an economist, and I say, oh, I'm a sport management <laughs> professor. You know, I just imagine what they think in their head, like, what? You're a sport management? <laughs> right. Experience industry management. What is that? Right. And so I've had to, like, from, you know, very beginning of my career, kind of had to prove myself right um, in those in those spaces. And um, and I actually remember very clearly, I was on the other side from you, Josie, in that I had a psychology degree and I was getting a sport management graduate degree. And I was like, uh, they're like looking at me like, hey, you're a psychology major. Why does that matter? Right. You know? And so mm-hmm. um, I think it's uh, just a really valuable reflection and I appreciate you adding that. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day and um, and really, really appreciate it. Um, where can we find your first album? Um, <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> Go back to that. I don't think anyone wants to hear that. Go back to that Nashville joke. You know, um, it's like I remember when I first went to Nashville, Josie, that it, it really was that way. Like the bartender, the waiter, the waitress, the the hostess, like everyone had their own, everyone had their own demo tape. And it's like unreal, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Even the karaoke down here is very serious. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Way more serious than anywhere else, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, good to see you. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>